0: Hello, my name is Krumskoff, and I am the host of NBA Unlocked. Before we start, I want to thank everyone who followed and listened to my podcast last year. Though it was only 8 episodes long, I want to thank you all for taking the time to listen. To those who emailed me and followed me on Twitter, thank you. Last year when I started this podcast, my goal was to bring out a genuine and unbiased approach to everything NBA related. I don't work for any sports media outlet, nor am I a sports writer. I am just like you, a fan who wants to share his thoughts and beliefs with other basketball fans. My goal when I first started this podcast was to put out an episode once a week, running between 30 minutes to an hour. Unfortunately, life took its course, and with school and work kicking my ass, the quality and production of my podcast started to take a hit, and before I knew it, I had to leave. And I did so abruptly, and for that, I am sorry. To those I never emailed or messaged back on Twitter, I am truly sorry. However, things are different now. Now that I have a lot more time on my hands, and my editor and producer Mindy Spears having more time, as well as me getting a new script editor, her name is Amy Blindstone, all three of us will be providing you with the best content possible. We are now being sponsored, and things are looking up. Previous episodes were removed as we are now using a new format, new audio software, and new content to make this podcast the best that it can be. We removed the old and we're starting with the new. We're starting fresh and we are trying to go on a new direction. Let's have fun and go through this wonderful journey together. To all of you who have been following me, thank you. It means so much to me. It means so much to us. Uh, we wouldn't be doing this without you guys. If you like what you hear, please show your support by clicking on the subscribe button or just follow me on Twitter at ArturiusGregor, and or you can email me at the podcast email at mbaunlocked24 at gmail.com. Thank you for all of your support. Welcome to NBA Unlocked. I am your host, Karam Skoff. I'm so fucking happy to be back with you guys and just talk about basketball. It's been a long year and I'm so excited to be back. The NBA season is right around the corner and I'm just so fucking excited. And I know you guys are too. So how about get this podcast rolling. So in this week's episode... I decided to go to one of my NBA debate group pages on Facebook and I decided to set up a poll and I wanted to ask everyone what they wanted me to talk about specifically for this week's episode. And the resounding vote was to talk about LeBron James versus Michael Jordan and whether or not LeBron was the greatest of all time and if he even has a chance to pass Michael Jordan if he's not yet. To be honest, and I don't mean to be a cynic at all, but anyone who throws that horrible opinion makes me feel, I don't know, like I'm losing my fucking brain cells. I respect people's opinions, but I would rather have assumptions presented to me rather than opinions. So, this is an argument that really bothers me because I don't see an argument. I don't see how LeBron is better than Jordan. And in this podcast, I'm going to try to end this ludicrous argument once and for all. And the way I'm going to structure this podcast is to present four different categories. Category 1, we'll talk about the individual achievements between Jordan and LeBron. Category 2, we'll talk about their um, roster makeup that they played in throughout their career category three who had the tougher competition within their conference and category four who had the tougher final opponents so let's start talking about category one which is individual achievements when you look at michael jordan and his individual achievements and all of his personal individual accolades that he garnished throughout his nba career within the 16 years that he played in the league including the two years that he retired plus all the years that he played with the Wizards which would be 16 years in the league. This is everything that he has accomplished. Jordan is a five-time Most Valuable Player. He's a six-time Finals MVP. He's made the All-Star Game 14 times. He was named Defensive Player of the Year, has been named nine times as being part of the All-Defensive First Team. He's a 10-time scoring champion. He's led the league three times as a Stills leader, and he's the fifth leading scorer of all time. All this in 16 years. Now let's compare that with LeBron James. In 16 years, LeBron James has had 4 MVPs, 3 Finals MVPs, he's a 15-time All-Star, one more than Jordan, he's been named 5 times to the All-Defensive First Team, has one scoring champion, he's never led the league in steals, which Jordan has done 3 times, and he's never been named Defensive Player of the Year, which Jordan has done once. So, in this category alone, with all the individual accolades the two have garnished, Jordan has more individual and personal accolades presented to him in less time than LeBron James. LeBron I think he's going into his 17th season and even within his 17th season the only thing he has more than Jordan is one more all-star appearance. Everything else he has less. So. Jordan has more and he's gotten them in a lesser time frame than LeBron has. I like to be on my NBA debate group a lot on Facebook because there's a lot of different opinions and one of the guys who comments on that group page uh, named Christopher Glover asked me a question um, when I was doing the poll. And he asked if it was more impressive that LeBron passed Michael Jordan in all time points considering that he played more games. The answer to that question is simple. I think it is impressive no matter how you look at it. You can't knock off a guy for scoring so many points regardless of how long it took that person to achieve it. But scoring more than Jordan all-time does not and will not make that person better than Jordan and it's not as impressive to do so considering the time that it took to pass Jordan. Sure, LeBron played the same amount of years but he's played more games. And again, Jordan retired twice. So who's to say that Jordan in the all-time scoring list wouldn't have been higher. For all we know, he could have finished third or second. Um, and the same argument, you know, Karl Malone is what second odd-time leading scorer. But is he better than Jordan? No. So it is impressive, but again, you have to take into context and into con- and you know into consideration that Jordan achieved all this in a lesser amount of time than LeBron did. So now that we've gotten the individual accolades out of the way, let's talk about Category 2, which is roster makeup. And we'll start with Jordan. I like to go Jordan first, LeBron second. So then, if we go back to Jordan's rookie year, which is the 1984-85 season, Jordan had two guys who averaged more than 15 points a game. We had Orlando Woolridge, who averaged 21 points a game. And then, I think he also had another player named Jordan, uh, what was his name? Uh, Quentin Daly, who I think averaged around 15 or 16 points a game. And there was another player, I think his name was Steven Johnson, who averaged maybe, I think it was 10 or 11 points a game. And everyone in that roster averaged less than 10 points a game. So I did some calculations, and I did some research, and I found that in 1987, the average points that Jordan's team averaged outside of Jordan, which means the roster, the other 14 players who averaged more than 20 minutes a game and played 50 games or more with Jordan, okay, averaged 5.8 points. In that season, in that same season, Jordan had only two guys averaging more than 10 points. And neither of them reached the 15 point mark. That year, Jordan averaged 37.1 points a game. That means no one could average more than 10 points a game because no one was good enough to score that much. Or score more than 15 points or get to 15 points a game. That means that Jordan had to score a lot to even get his team anywhere close to making the playoffs. To make them even competitive enough to make the playoffs. and the following year, 1986, his team only improved by .5, giving the total average of the roster 6.3. This is a trend that went all the way into 1988. It wasn't until 1989 when Jordan ended up playing with four other guys who averaged 10 or more points a game. But again, neither of them hitting that 15 point mark. The average roster, Okay, again, the other 14 players outside of Jordan, the average was 10.34. Actually a big leap from the previous year which was 6.3. Again, mind you these guys played for at least 50 games or more. They played in the playoffs. Um, But that is a big leap from the previous year. So then let's go to 1990. Only one player averaged more than 15 points a game and it was Scottie Pippen who averaged 16.5 that season, his 3rd year in the league. The average points scored for that team with Pippen was 11.85. With Jordan averaging that same season, 32.5 points. So from 91 to 92 and 95 to 98, the average points per game on the roster was 10.88 with Scottie Pippen being the only person to average 15 points a game or more. In the ninth season that Scottie played with the Bulls, Pippen averaged 15 points or more a game for five seasons, and 20 points or more a game for four seasons. Scottie Pippen is the only player on the Bulls outside of Michael Jordan to average 20 points a game or more for two seasons, so then, this alone makes a point that Jordan's scoring was pivotal for the Bulls to be successful. Because outside of Jordan and Pippen, the roster was assessed pool. As great as Scottie Pippen is and was, he was not helping Jordan with the offensive load. Because if that was the case, if Pippen was helping Jordan with the offensive load, Jordan didn't need to score 30 plus points a game because then, there would be more productivity offensively for the team. But that wasn't the case. So considering Jordan needed to average at least 30 plus points a game for them to be as successful as they were, this also had to do with the fact that the roster was poorly designed. People throw the argument that Jordan was 1-9 before Pippen joined. An argument I hate so very much. because. When Pippen came into the league, his first season he averaged, what, under 8 points? Then the second season he averaged, uh, 14 points. If you do the math and you combine the two points and you divide them by two, you get the average of a little over 11 points. So, the first two seasons that Pippen played, he averaged 11 points. Is that really going to help the overall offense of the team? No, because it only did uh, so much. So if we go back to the 90s season, the average points was 10.34. And then when Pippen decided to average 16.5 season, it went up to 11.85 points. So roughly 1.5 point increase. So then... Even with Pippen being drafted in 88, from 88 to 1990, the Bulls still lost. So the whole argument of Pippen was the reason why Jordan won could be the same argument used for LeBron because LeBron didn't win until he played with Dwayne Wade, who was already a champion and finals MVP. But the difference is, LeBron didn't make Dwayne Wade. Jordan made Scottie Pippen. So that argument of Scottie Pippen being the sole reason why Jordan won all these years, is such a stupid and ludicrous argument. So let's get back to roster makeup. Um, Michael Jordan played with five other All-Stars, two of them being Hall of Famers, uh, Scottie Pippen and Dennis Rodman, obviously. But who were the other All-Stars that Jordan played with? Well, he played with Tony Kukoc, a one-time All-Star, and he was also Sixth Man of the Year. He also played with Horace Grant and B.J. Armstrong, both of them making the All-Star one time. Now going back to personal accolades, we know that Jordan made 15 All-Star appearances. So then if we do the math and combine all of the players that Jordan played with and all the All-Star appearances combined, they add up to 14. So Jordan had more All-Star appearances than his whole team throughout his entire career with the Bulls. That tells you a lot of how talented that team really was. So now let's go with LeBron James and his roster. We'll start with his rookie year up to 2010, which was his last year with the Cavs. From 2004 to 2010, the average roster productivity outside of LeBron was 8.1 points, which was more than Jordan's roster produced on average. Mind you, this is again consisting of players who played 50 games or more and also played in the playoffs. Which I should also mention that LeBron missed his first two years to get to the playoffs. While Jordan never missed the playoffs. Now, people say, oh well, Jordan had to average, what, 23 or 33 winning season. So, he still made the fucking playoffs. LeBron didn't. Sorry. But let's get back on track. So when he decided to go to Miami Heat from 2011 to 2014, the average points his team scored 11.15. Again, that was slightly less than what Jordan had to play with in the 1990 season, which was 11.85. But still, Miami season, he had 11.15. And when he went back to play in Cleveland with... Um, Kyrie and Love the average was 13.2 points which was the highest roster makeup for LeBron James and again Jordan's roster makeup never exceeded 11 points. So who did LeBron James play with? Okay well let's get there. So in his first stint with the Cavaliers LeBron played with four guys to average 15 points or more a game. Ricky Davis, he played, he played 23 games, but he was, he came in a trade, I think, if I remember correctly, I could be wrong, but he did play 23, 24 games with LeBron, and he did average over 20 points a game. Then you had Carlos Boozer, who played with LeBron for two years, averaged more than 15 points a game. He has the Dronis Iglauskis, Mo Williams, and Larry Hughes, who came in a trade and played for 33 games with LeBron. In his time with the Heat, he played with Dwayne Wade, who averaged more than 22 points a game. He also played with Chris Boss, who averaged more than 18 points a game. We also need to include Kyrie Irving and Kevin Love when LeBron decided to go back to Cleveland. Um, Kevin Love averaged 18 points a game, and Kyrie averaged a little bit over 20 points a game. What makes this important is that outside of Michael Jordan and Orlando Woolridge, who played one season with Jordan, or I think it was two seasons with Jordan, no one averaged more than 20 points a game outside of Scottie Pippen. And let's also not forget, okay, that when LeBron decided to go to the Los Angeles Lakers, he had two other guys average almost 20 points a game. He had Kyle Kuzma, who averaged 18.7 points a game, and Brandon Ingram, 18.3 points a game. So when we talk about the roster makeup, who had more players average 15 points or more and 20 points or ga- 20 points or more a game. LeBron had the roster who had players average more than 15 points or more a game, which also means that LeBron had overall better talent. Thus in reality, LeBron played with more talent than Jordan did. Now, remember how I combined all star appearances? Well, let's do the same for LeBron. You have Ray Allen, Shaquille, Zydrunas Iglesias, Mo Williams, Larry Hughes, you have Carlos Boozer, even though Carlos Boozer wasn't an all-star when he played with LeBron, he's still an all-star, he became an all-star. You have Kyrie, Wade, Bosch, Love, you combine all of those all-star appearances, that's more than Jordan and Jordan's roster combined. That showed you the talent that LeBron had. Now, someone's gonna say, well, you can't say Shaq, cause he was old as shit. Okay, but Dirk had an old as shit, geriatric functioning, 38 year old Jason Kidd, who's a point guard, and they were still successful. If you are a superstar, even with age, you are still going to produce. To an extent, of course. But let's take a look at 37 year old Shaq when he played in Cleveland. In 23 minutes, he averaged 12 points and 7 rebounds. At 37 years old, that's more than what most role players his position would average. Let's take a look into his previous year when he played with the Suns. He averaged 18 points and 10 rebounds playing 7 minutes more. And there are a lot of young players in the league today who average for their careers 18 points and 10 rebounds a game. Shaq did that at 36 years old. So for me, this is really a shitty argument. LeBron played with talent. And if you combine, like I said, combine all of those players' all-star appearances, they far outweighs Jordan's and Jordan's teammates. So again, Jordan had better and more individual accolades. And he did this and more in less time than LeBron James. So before we continue the second part of this podcast, let's listen to a brief message from our sponsors. Got something to say? Anchor is the way. With Anchor, you can easily make a podcast and make it sound great with their free creation tools. Easy access from your phone or computer lets you edit or record anywhere. Your podcast will be sent to listening sites including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcast, among many more. You can also make money from your podcasts with no minimum listenership. Anchor, podcasting made simple. And now, here's your host, Karam Skoff. So now we're at Category 3, which is basically competition. Who had better competition within their conference? Since they both played in the East, let's see who had the tougher role to the playoffs. Again, one of the arguments I tend to listen to Um, is that Jordan played against Plumbers. And a weaker league that LeBron supposedly played in this superior league with superior talent, blah 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 blah. Let's see if this argument is valid. When people say LeBron had to deal with more competition than Jordan, it's truly laughable. It really is. And I'll tell you why. The league back then was so different in that particular era than it is In today's era. And I really don't care what anyone says. The 90's was more physical. And it was a much more defensive minded era. Most guards back then were more defensive monsters than the guards in today's era. Probably outside Kobe Bryant and Clay Thompson. I can't think of a shooting guard who's defensively talented. Uh, I, I should say Dwayne Wade. Back in the day, guards guarded guards. Forwards guarded forwards. You guarded your own position. So if we're going to talk about guards, specifically shooting guards or point guards, who did Michael Jordan play up against? He played against Sidney Moncrief, who was a two-time Defensive Player of the Year. Alvin Robertson, one-time Defensive Player of the Year. Michael Cooper and Gary Payton, both Defensive Players of the Year. Sidney Moncrief and Alvin Robertson both played in the East during Jordan's time. The other two, Michael Cooper and Gary Payton both played in the West. The rest um, were centers. Now if you look at LeBron James, the only Defensive Player of the Year winners that LeBron played against was Kawhi Leonard and Draymond Green. So, LeBron didn't play anyone in his position who were Defensive Players of the Year in the East. They all played in the West. So, basically, half of Jordan's defensive competition played in the West and in the East. All of LeBron's defensive competition played in the West. So, let's do some research how correct I am. Jordan played, and this is my research, you can look it up, there's Google, you guys are competent enough to go on Google, on your computer, or on your uh, phones. So Jordan played against 15 guards, we're just doing guards right now, 15 guards who were part of the all-first defensive first team. Eight of them being in the East, while seven were in the West, whereas LeBron played against five all-first defensive teams, two being in the East and three being in the West. This is particularly the small forward position. Now, if we want to combine shooting guard, point guards, and small forwards for Jordan and LeBron, this is what we're going to get. With point guard, shooting guards, and small forwards, Jordan dealt with 20 all-defensive first-team players. This, like I said, included point guards, shooting guards, small forwards. I'm sorry I have to be redundant. I need to make this point. He played 20 of them. 20 players. 12 were in the East, 8 in the West. Whereas the Brown James, including point guards, shooting guards, and small forwards, it would, be, it would equal to 16. 4 of them being in the East, 12 in the West. The four in the East was Jason Kidd, Giannis Antetokounmpo, Razon Rondo, and Andre Iguodala. You're probably wondering, well, well, wasn't Dwayne Wade part of the first all-defense team? Nope, Dwayne was not. Dwayne was never part of the all-first defensive team. He was a three-time all-defensive second team. So... The four players who were named first-all defensive team were Jason Kidd, who left the East in 2007 to play with the Mavericks for the 2007-2008 season, Giannis Antetokounmpo, Rajon Rondo, and Andre Iguodala. The rest of those players were in the West. So in reality, this shows that LeBron's competition in the East was watered down. Because the only defensive player to play in the East were centers. You had Jared Wallace, you had Kevin Garnett in 08 I believe, and Dwight Howard. All centers. Not a single forward, small forward, not a single small forward, shooting guard, or point guard. Kid left, Giannis was still developing. Giannis didn't become Giannis until he won his MVP. And maybe he wasn't Giannis until the year before that. Then he had Andre Iguodala, and Rajon Rondo. So, like this proves that LeBron competition, as I said, was watered down. And again, the league in of itself as a sport became watered down when they changed the rules. And I'll do a whole separate podcast about how the league changed defensively and 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 everything. But. Briefly, I just want to make a point that the league became a more fast paced game. It became more free throw heavy. More players were given more opportunities to go to to the free throw line, which means a good percentage of players scoring came from the free throw line. The league made it easier for superstars to get fouled to protect them, whereas it was opposite. The complete opposite in the 90s. So when someone says that Jordan played against plumbers, I want to make this clear. If you consider a defensive player of the year and an all defensive first team player as being a plumber then you really need to reevaluate your knowledge in the game of basketball. Jordan didn't play against players who who were offensively gifted like him. The only other player who I think was offensively gifted as him was Clyde Drexler, who averaged like 23 or 24 points for his entire career. So because those players weren't offensively as gifted as Jordan, that doesn't mean they were not defensively as gifted. Jordan was an anomaly. No one has seen anything like him before, really no one. But regardless of other players not being as defensively gifted as him, they were defensively gifted. You can't say that about LeBron James because the players who were defensively gifted and offensively gifted played in the West outside of Carmelo Anthony, but we already know Carmelo Anthony was good offensively, but defensively he was shit. He was not good at all. So, especially those in his position and the talent in his conference, I'm sorry, they were utter trash. From 84 to 98, Michael Jordan played against 30 teams with 50 plus winning seasons. 20 teams with 60 plus winning seasons. So, what about LeBron? Well, in LeBron's era, he played against 5 teams who had 50 plus winning seasons and 10 team who has 60 plus winning season the rest were below 50. Again, the bronze error was weak. By far. So now we go to our final category. Finals competition. For me, this last argument is more of an opinion based, while the other three were more facts. But for me, this final topic is more, I I know I said opinion, I should say it's more assumptions because there is knowledge and some facts towards it, but you can't really prove it. The only thing I can really say about LeBron James in the finals and his nine finals appearances is that I personally believe he should have lost three of them. He should have gone six and nine. He should have lost to the Spurs the very first time he played against them. And he should have lost to the Warriors, twice, with the addition of Durant. There's no way that LeBron James' team could have beaten the Warriors with Durant. His battles with the Warriors, though, before Durant, I believe were evenly matched. And if you look at them, um, if you look at it realistically, yes, the, the Warriors had the better record, but if you look at what they averaged, Point-wise, as a team, they were almost equivalent. So, I would say, really, the only series he should have lost was his first time with the Spurs and his two battles with his last two years playing in the East against the Warriors with Durant. Whereas, I think for Jordan, personally, I think he should have won three of his six uh, finals appearances, and and I'll tell you why. He should have lost to the Lakers, who had Magic Johnson, James Worthy, and Sam Perkins. This was, um, I believe, in '92, where he first won his championship in '91. But the Bulls played against the Lakers in the finals. You had three guys for the Lakers who averaged 15 games or more. You had James Worthy and Magic Johnson averaging 21 points or more. You had Sam Perkins averaging 15 points or more, and a bunch of other guys averaging 12 points or more. For Bulls, in that series, Jordan and Pippen were the only two who averaged 15 points or more. Jordan averaged 31.5 points a game, and Scottie Pippen averaged 17.8 points a game. Bulls had no place to win that series, and yet they did so, they won, because of Michael Jordan. Another series he should have lost was against the Suns. The Suns had Charles Barkley who averaged 27.3 points a game, Kevin Johnson and Dan Majerle, both averaged 17.2 points a game, and Richard Dumas who averaged almost 16 points a game with 15.8 points a game. In that series, Jordan averaged 29.6 points a game, Pippen averaged 15.6 points a game, and Horace Grant averaged 12.8 points a game for that series. No one else outside of Horan's grant averaged more than 12 points a game. And if you take a look at the roster for both teams, on paper the Suns were the better team. And to me, I don't think Jordan should have won. But because of Jordan's greatness, they won. Let's also not forget about his series against the Sonics. In that series, you had Sean Kemp who averaged 23.3 points a game, Gary Payton, who had 18 points a game, and I think also it was that same year that Gary Payton won Defensive Player of the Year. And who has Detlef Shrimp with 16.3 points a game. As the only guys to average 15 points a game. For the Bulls, it was Jordan, 27.3 points a game, and Scottie Pippen with 15.8 ga- points a game, and no one else averaging more than 15 points a game outside of Pippen. I think there were two other guys who averaged 10 points or more a game in that series. Another series, when you look at the rosters and you look on paper, the Sonics looked as though as they were the better team. And again, the Bulls won because of Michael Jordan. The only other teams that I believe that the Bulls should have won on paper were against the Blazers and against the, uh, the Jazz both times. But again, Jordan never lost in the finals because that's how great Jordan was. The thing is, Jordan doesn't wither away in the big moments and there are documents of LeBron withering away in the 2011 finals where he averaged uh, like 17 points a game in that series. A series that he should have won. And I'm a Maverick fan, a diehard fucking Maverick fan and I didn't even think we'd ever beat the Miami Heat, yet alone make it to the finals. But that is what greatness showed you and Dirk showed you that he wouldn't wither under the pressure because he withered under the pressure for many years in the playoffs. He withered under the pressure in 2006 when he lost to Dwayne Wade. That is what greatness does. Greatness allows you to overcome obstacles. Even in scenarios where you're not expected to win, greatness allows you to overcome those situations. And Jordan overcame them. That is something you can't say about LeBron James. Before I conclude this podcast, I wanted to mention another argument that I hate. Going back to what I said about Jordan going 1-9 and nine in the playoffs, I want to make this clear. I don't give a fuck how many times someone fails in the playoffs. They could go 1 for 20, I, I could care less. It's what they do in the finals that counts. And the finals for me is a big fucking thing. And Jordan, every time he went to the finals, he never lost. And that is something you can't ever say about LeBron James. Because he failed. He failed many times. He made to the fu- he made it to the finals nine times. He only won three of those nine appearances. So without with all that being said, is LeBron better than Jordan? No, absolutely not. Is there a chance he'll ever pass Jordan? Not a chance in hell. Could he ever become number two? Probably not, because I don't see him ever catching up to Kareem or even passing Magic Johnson, who I have as number three all time. As great as LeBron James is, let's stop creating a narrative that presents him to be better than what he really is. He's probably top he's probably what a top ten player all time, but the gap between LeBron James and Jordan is staggering. Okay? It's staggering. Jordan is is in a tier all by himself. And to think that LeBron is close to Jordan or has surpassed Jordan is ludicrous. LeBron is so far out of reach, it's not even funny. And I think it's time for people to stop with this dumbass argument because at the end of the day, the GOAT is and always will be Michael fucking Jordan. Thank you guys for listening. That's all I have for today's podcast. If you guys have any questions or comments, you can always tweet me at ArturiusGregor or email me at NBAUnlocked24 at gmo.com. You can always find me on the NBA Debate Group on Facebook as well. Until next time, peace, love, hurrah, out.